Hello, hello. How's it going? It's going well. How are you? It is going really well, thanks. I'm excited to be chatting with you today about a topic that I have found very interesting and actually one I imagine will come and return to several times because there's so many different facets of it, but it is music and artificial intelligence. I'll start by saying one of the ways I've always been interested in this topic is because I think one of the great like shiny examples of innovation around machine learning in products and technologies that a lot of people use every day is Spotify. And they've done such a good job over the years uh, being real pioneers about leveraging machine learning to help inform, you know, help people find, basically connect people with music they're going to love. And that's not what we're chatting about today, but it is what was on the back of my mind as I stumbled across an article in an online publication called DJ Mag, which is a kind of trade uh, publication around the music industry. And they're in the middle of this long form series that they're covering the future of the industry and specifically how artificial intelligence is impacting um, and likely to impact the future of the music industry. And this is, I think the second in their series, second article in their series. And uh, it is all about sort of the production and engineering of music. So essentially what, what happens in the studio between when the music is sort of like initially created and when it eventually gets sort of published. Um, And I can't say that I know a lot about uh, what happens in between those two spaces, uh, but I do know a lot of work goes into that. (laughs) And, And what was really fascinating was reading about how much artificial intelligence machine learning is already impacting that space. So they specifically take a look at a company called I think it's called Isotope, uh, and it's like a, you know the industry leader, at least as they describe it, in adding sort of tools and plugins to the traditional music editing suite of software that allows the user, the sound engineer, the sound mixer, uh, to leverage machine learning to help them with their job. And it's amazing, you know, just some of the things they talk about what they're able to do. I mean, some things, you know, seem maybe a little bit more straightforward, like by just listening to the music, the machine learning models are able to recognize uh, patterns of tempo and then mark up the music with those patterns so that the sound mixer doesn't have to go in and do that manually Um, to just like automatically adjusting the sound levels so that, you know, all the different tracks and all the different sounds are sort of like playing nicely with each other. Uh, But then also just generating music, right? So like, actually using the machine learning tools to extend the music by a few bars, you know, and essentially, you know, create what it thinks should, should be kind of the, the natural extension of what, what music you already have on hand. So I guess I'll just start by saying it's amazing how much machine learning is already part of the, the music industry. Yeah. And it's, you know, I think it's interesting kind of the angle of artificial talent, artificial intelligence here and sort of like how it's present in the music industry, because I imagine that at first glance, at first glance, the, I don't want to say, I guess horror or the concern is that, you know, this is such a creative field and people that create music are so passionate about it, you know, 
do they now need to feel threatened by artificial intelligence? Yeah, and it's a good point because the article spends a good deal of time, I think, beginning to explore what I took away as one of the bigger themes of the, the piece, which was this relationship between humans and machines that has to be reexamined in a world of artificial intelligence. Yeah. And that that is true everywhere, you know, like wherever there is human and machine, and, and now that machine has artificial intelligence capacity in some way, shape, or form it makes sense that you would have to rethink what that relationship looks like. Um, but there was something, I think you're exactly right. There was something about this being what we consider such a predominantly creative endeavor that mm-hmm. made it more obvious that that re- reimagining, that reconsideration of that relationship had to take place. And, and I think the article did a nice job talking through some of the potential sort of changes. I mean, one of the points that they make is, you know, has to do with, um, you know, you know, more or less like as a sound mixer soon out of a job, if the sound mixing is just being done by a machine, I mean, right, just bluntly, like if that, if, if that can be done by a machine, what are the limits uh, of its capacity? And, and when do those limits exceed that of what the person can do? Mm-hmm. And, you know, at least some people in the article, I think, rather persuasively argued that at least for the time being, um, what the machine is actually doing is making the role even more creative because it is taking off the plate of the professional. So much of the work that is highly technical, um, you know, predictable, formulaic enough for a machine to learn the patterns and reproduce them and leaving to the sound mixer, to the professional, to the human, kind of only the things, or increasingly is leaving them only the things that are just human, deeply human in nature, very creative, very nuanced, um, very different than what the machine is doing. And, and I think it, it even though that, that's, that's a very nice take on it and very well maybe true, it alone is actually probably not enough to totally quell the unease that may exist because as just like an economic matter, whenever you, what we've done is just basically in some ways change then the job description of a sound mixer. Um, Even if all we did was shift around the weights of what you spend your day doing and the skill set is generally the same, but you went from doing, you know, 80% technical work, 20% creative. And now we're saying, well, with the help of machines, it inverses itself. Now it's 80% creative, 20% technical just that change alone, it's not as benign as it sounds, right? That means potentially you need a whole new training, a whole new workforce, a whole new type of person to pursue that endeavor. And again, like when you take a step back, there's nothing about that that is unique to this industry. And every conversation we have about machine learning can probably have exactly the same kind of conversation attached to it. But I just found it interesting that the creative element of this industry made it come front and center faster than it, than it has in other conversations we've had about, about machine learning. Yeah. And I mean, this is sort of, this conversation is sort of one thing that really drew me to machine, machine learning and artificial intelligence at the beginning. Like I used to have this very sort of like creative job, but because like, you know, I had to write so many letters and I received so many letters. I was working in a congressional office and there was so much in that task that I could probably automate, but we just weren't there technology wise. And so had I been able to automate a lot of that sort of like routine, routineness, I could have then 
applied like a lot of creativity to crafting like really meaningful letters, not just, you know, responding to like these mass emails that we would receive. Um, so I think that, you know, right now is also a really unique point in time because like artificial intelligence and machine learning is not taking over these roles right now. I mean, like if you can learn machine learning and artificial intelligence and infuse that into your jobs at this point, then you can have this competitive edge. Because for example, if I hire like a sound mixer, I don't know what they're doing. If they get me back the sound better and faster than other people, then I don't really care exactly how they did it. And so if they're using artificial intelligence and machine learning and they're able to get it back to me better and faster, that's, that's wonderful. Go for yeah, it. Ab- absolutely. And I, and I think it, it, yeah, I think you're right that like the, w- the current moment we're in is about who is able to take advantage of those things. And I think it's a uh, important consideration for the very near future about what, yeah, what kinds of things we'll need to prepare a workforce to be able to do in, in light of a world where what they are doing is working with a machine in some way that's different in the same way that, I mean, this could probably be analogized to every technology also, right? Like if it used to be like, even in your letter writing example, like if it used to be that like letters were being written without word processors, um, then maybe what was being hired for in that job. And therefore like what people like yourself had to do to prepare themselves for that job involved a set of skills that was like being able to write with great penmanship, being able to write nevertheless really quickly and with minimal errors, knowing spelling, you know, with with a great degree of accuracy and your grammar being 100%, you know, like all of these things that like, well, as soon as there was a word processor that was doing so much of that for you, it wasn't like you stopped needing to know how to write a letter, but it did mean that you could be preparing yourself for that job with in a much different way. Right. So like now, yes, I, I know how to use the word processor and I can add to the substance of the letter in some significant and interesting way. And similarly, that's what they're hiring for, right? They're no longer going to have you take a test, um, that says like, how good is your spelling? Right. If, if, if there's, if every time you ever write anything, there's spell check. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it just brings more meaning into that job. For example, you know, I can spend more time understanding the substance of the issues that people are writing to us about and not spending as much time on like grammar and other things. But it's interesting that you bring up music because I've been thinking recently, I mean, I feel like the two other creative fields that I'm seeing artificial intelligence and machine learning more and more in are like art um, of just sort of like paintings, drawings, things like that. And then also writing, we're really seeing a ton of like, mm-hmm. um, artificial intelligence used in writing. And it's interesting because I think one benefit, I mean, I definitely understand the concern of potentially like artists and musicians with machine learning, create and artificial intelligence, creating pieces. But it's also interesting because like, it could potentially be a benefit also with like scale because, The ways I've seen some artists use machine learning so far is basically they like feed in data about like their own artwork. And then the machine learning model is able to sort of recognize patterns in their own style and then create new pieces with their sort of personal style, but they're able to make them a lot faster. So I don't know if that sort of removes the soul of an art piece, but if it's your personal data that you're feeding in, I don't know. I feel like it, it complicates it a little bit. It definitely does. I mean, and, and again, like this isn't the first time I think that we've had to contend with this problem. I remember learning about, I believe like Frank Gehry as the architect once and like 
about how his process had evolved over time and like how, you know, and Frank Gehry goes from being like an individual guy who's considered this genius who like whips out a big, you know, pad of paper and a, and a Sharpie and sketches these like crazy looking things and like, and then is able to somehow turn them into structures that stand up right, you know, and, and, and then, but by like, you know, 20 years into Frank Gehry's career of evolutions in technology and his own sort of stature means that like, well, now maybe more what he does is, is he's still sketching things on a page, you know, but they're less elaborate. And then he gets to turn them over to an associate who runs it through a computer, which figures out how to build it, you know, in a way that makes sure that it still has sort of like the artistic flair of Frank Gehry, but, 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 you know, is like kind of adjusted uh, so that it, it, it's a proper structure. I mean, but like, you know, I don't know enough about architecture to comment too deeply on that, but it just, my, my take is that, yeah, like artistry, especially once it's commercialized, right. It's, it's pure art for art's sake. It's different, but any commercialized artistry, like there's, there's, there are trade-offs and, and yeah, I totally think that here's one of those trade-offs is, is absolutely right. Scale. And one of the things that really, I, you know, it, it, it again, the creative element of this really opens my eyes to is like, what about being a human is still special, <laughs> you know? So like, what about being a human is still not replicable in the form of a machine, um, at least in ways that like we would, we would properly accept today. And, and I think it's like, we've talked a lot on in these conversations about how things that once seemed impossible to digitize are now readily digitized. And so like that has just changed what we imagine we can train machines to know and to learn. And I think that like, that's an interesting paradigm to approach this with, like what still is not digitized, what can't be digitized yet, what even if it can be digitized, isn't being digitized at scale or in any sort of standardized way. And I think that's sort of just a kind of technocratic way to answer the question, like what is human, you know, because if it can't be digitized, like if it can't, there's no way to standard to create a standard sort of library of data points um, sufficiently large enough to train a machine to understand it and to make sense of it and to reproduce it and in the future, um, then at least for now, that that seems to me like the exclusive province of humans, right? And so like music, I was thinking is like, like you're like, a, if you're a famous or even not a famous, you're just a very genius, successful art, artist, musician, um, whether that's as a sound mixer or a music creator, whatever your role is, presumably part of that genius is having some kind of aesthetic, some sort of taste, some sort of emotional response and, and like ability to predict the emotional response of others. Like it's this confluence of things that we could probably imagine digital proxies for, um, but we don't yet have like a smartwatch that you wrap around your wrist and that produces like uh, a monitor of a, of your aesthetic or a monitor of your taste or a monitor of your mood in the same way that like we have heart rate and respiratory rate and things like that. So, so yeah. it seems like those things are still things that to the extent they're valuable, which I think a lot of people would say they are, and certainly in the art, in the art world, they, they are, they are valued. I would imagine they only get more valuable in and outside of the art world as those things become, uh, you know, increasingly separate from what a machine can do, you know, and so that those things get more and more value because those are, will remain the things that are hard to scale. They'll remain the things that are hard, you know, and I shouldn't say they will remain. I'm sure these things will evolve and change as well in their own way, but at least now those, those things feel very much like they stand outside of machines. 
Yeah. And it's interesting. I kind of think of like the success of music, almost like the stock market in a way, because like we have a ton of data about whether a song is successful or not. Right. Like you have like the number of listens it got, the number of purchases it has or like where it was on like the billboard ranking and stuff. But it's still really unpredictable in the way that like the stock market, you have like a ton of historical data, but you never really know if it's going to go up or down. And so it's always kind of like really, really hard to predict. And with music, I mean, like I said, you have a ton of historical data, but the success of a song really depends on like how it makes people feel like, I mean, all these very sort of like abstract things that are really hard to identify. So I imagine that like even predicting sort of the success of the song of a song, I imagine it will be very sort of elusive uh, even in the future. But I do sort of wonder if machine learning can do what humans potentially can't do, which is like collect all that historical data um, and, you know, collect data about like Beyonce released a song two days ago, like maybe that sort of like would impact how successful your song would be, or just like all these different features that could potentially impact the success of a song and predict it in a way that humans are just not able to. I don't know. Yeah. Well, and I think it, it, it calls to mind something we've talked about a lot, which is right. That like a big element of, of training a machine to do anything is knowing what you're training it to do. Right. And knowing what you're actually trying to optimize for, um, and, and, and yeah, I think if the question is like, will this song become a hit? I think you're right. Um, there are limitations on our ability to predict that, but those limitations are probably uh, smaller in the machine than they are in an individual person in the same way that like, same thing is true of, of stock picking, right? An individual person, even a really smart financial person is probably you know, you're going to be beaten a lot by a machine that's making those predictions just because of the vast amount of capacity the machine has to look at data points. And I will say that, like, certainly there are like, you know, uh, record labels where their entire thing is like, oh, we know exactly what will make a right. hit. And not that they are always hits, but they are just looking exactly for the same kinds of patterns that presumably you would teach a machine learning model to look for. But that's different, right, than saying, well, okay, well, I'm trying to optimize for a really great song. Well, if, meaning great in terms of like beloved by music critics. Well, that's different than loved in terms of like going to be number one on Spotify. And that's different than like, I'm going to personally love it. Like, so just understand my tastes and predict whether I'm as an individual going to like it, you know? So it has a lot to do, I think, yeah, with, with what it is you're trying to predict. But what I found again, I mean, just as like a, just a kind of final comment here is like what I found so interesting about this article and the way they talk about specifically like the studio technicians and sound mixers and sound engineers is they're working as we speak and I'm sure increasingly so alongside these machines right I mean they don't I'm sure they don't think of it that way but you can I in my mind as I'm reading this article imagining machines sitting next to you know mixer and they're like collaborating essentially together on this creative endeavor mm -hmm. and then it's like it just changes in my mind, A, with the kind of person who needs to be in that seat in order to make that work. And I'm sure it changes any number of other things, which, you know, we don't have time to talk about here, but the article goes into some, you know, interesting uh, discussions of like, how do you credit that? You know, like if part of what made this song a success was this contribution that this ML powered feature added to it, and that ML powered feature 
only knows what it knows because of all the songs that came before it, which were written, you know, by humans predominantly, <laughs> you know, it's like, and that's, I think it's more than just like a question of vanity. It's more than just asking like, oh, who sh whose name or what credits should go on, on the album cover. I think it's about learning. It's about human learning. Like we're, as we get better and better at how machines learn, like, I think one of the things we are probably going to be mind, we should be mindful of is how does that change how humans learn and the, and the body of knowledge we have to, to build on top of and like the shoulders that we're standing on, because increasingly they will be a mixture of human and machine. You know? Yeah. And I kind of imagine that as AI and machine learning develops more and more of a presence in creative fields, it will vary how loud people are about that inclusion, I guess. So for example, like there are some industries where people love to tout how they're using AI and machine mm. learning. I yeah. imagine, you know, if artists do start creating music with artificial intelligence, I kind of predict that will happen very quietly because I yeah. think that there are some arenas where like people love the fact that they're using artificial intelligence, machine learning. And then there's some arenas where I think that they will maybe reluctantly find that they're using it or something. Yeah, I suspect you're right. Well, it's been really interesting to talk about. I'm sure we will come back to music in particular and creative industries in general, because yes. there's obviously a lot here. So yeah, thanks for uh -huh. chatting. Yeah, of course. Thanks, Andrew.